In the scripture, unrighteousness isn't just the opposite of righteousness. Unrighteousness is contrasted with truth. Let me show you. Turn to chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The contrast here isn't with righteousness as such. It's with truth. Unrighteousness is a lie. Okay, it's contrasted with truth. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. But to those, and he's speaking of God's principles of judgment, he says, to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey what? Unrighteousness. Again, the contrast with truth. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part three of a message titled, A Righteous God and a Savior. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Romans 9 through 11, God asserts His sovereignty in no uncertain terms. And you know, I think every Christian instinctively knows that God is sovereign, that God's grace is completely undeserved, that everything we have we owe to Him. Hence, you get to the end of these three chapters, and we're told and we instinctively chime in, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And... We not only praise Him for our salvation, but we pray to Him for others' salvation because we know that God is the God of salvation. God is the author. He's the Alpha and the Omega of salvation. And so we instinctively pray for others' salvation. You just glance across the page at chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, unbelieving Israel is for their salvation. That was Paul's heart. God is the sovereign one. His grace is uncaused in us, else it wouldn't be grace. If it's by grace, Romans eleven six 6 says, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. And we are saved by His mercy. His mercy. It is undeserved. That's what mercy is. Undeserved in any Way. Now, unbelievers uh, love to question God's very character, the very essence of God. Romans has labored to show us how sinful man is and how gracious God is in providing a Savior. But unbelief loves to criticize and critique and quibble and mock and scoff and blaspheme the very name and character of God. And so it's not surprising to find Paul raising questions throughout this book. And as he really asserts God's sovereignty, of course, verse 14 of chapter 9, the question arises, well, then is there injustice with God? God isn't fair. And people ask those sorts of things and say those sorts of things today. And, you know, uh, Paul has heard it. In fact, I imagine you could you can read Romans thinking in particularly this chapter and chapter 10, 11, you know, you can listen to Romans as if he's dealing with a heckler. He's done a lot of open-air preaching. He didn't preach in little safe zones. He preached in the synagogues, which 
uh, were often hostile to him. And he preached in the open market. Uh, he, you could look at him as dealing with a heckler in Romans, and he deals with questions. Or you can imagine him dealing with Saul of Tarsus. You know what I mean? Paul knew the unbelieving mind because he'd been one. <laughs> he knew all about the questions that he used to raise and throw in the teeth of Christians. And so you can see him sparring with the old Paul, Saul of Tarsus, if you like. But I think it's helpful to see. He knows what people are going to say. He's heard it. And I know when God is proclaimed today, when the sovereign grace of God is really explained, there are those who say, that's not fair. What about man's vaunted freedom and autonomy? How can he still find fault then? And Paul answers both questions. Verse 14 and verse 19. And I just want to touch on it again because uh, notice what he says. There's no injustice with God, is there? And he puts in the same phrase, unrighteousness. That's what the term injustice is, is unrighteousness and God. Now, sometimes things show up best against their backdrop. You know what I mean? And Paul's labor in Romans is to show the righteousness of God, the very gospel that he's explaining in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. We saw that's how this book begins. So it might be good for us to look a little bit at unrighteousness because interestingly enough, in the Scripture, unrighteousness isn't just the opposite of righteousness. It is seen as the opposite of truth. And when you see that, it helps you understand what we mean when we say the truth is that God is righteous. And you and I need to understand the truth. And the unrighteousness is contrasted with truth. Let me show you. Turn to chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The contrast here isn't with righteousness as such. It's with truth. Unrighteousness is a lie. Okay, it's contrasted with truth. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. But to those, and he's speaking of God's principles of judgment, he says, to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey what? Unrighteousness. Again, the contrast with truth. Look at chapter 3, verse 4. May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found unrighteous, really, but he says a liar, as it is written that thou mightest be justified in thy words and mightest prevail when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? No. Let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. 1 Corinthians 13, 6, when he's describing love, and God is love. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. In him, there was no unrighteousness, John 7, 18 says, speaking of Jesus Christ. The one who seeks the glory of man, that's one thing, but the one who seeks the glory of the one who sent him, he is true. And in him there is no unrighteousness. John 7, 18. So 
when we speak of unrighteousness, remember that it's not only contrasted with the righteousness of God, but it's contrasted with the truth of God. And you and I need to see the truth of who God is. He is the truth. And if we'll know the truth, it sets us free. It liberates us. And so as we come to Romans 9, 10, and 11, keep that in mind. And Paul, of course, answers the question, what should we say? Is there any unrighteousness with God? May it never be. He uses this refrain we've become used to, never, no way. God is the very definition of truth. And He's the very standard of righteousness. And to even suggest that there's unrighteousness with God, may it never be. But He knows people are going to ask the question. And He raises the question and then shoots it down. And interestingly enough, He went on and we saw in in our paragraph, and we looked at it last time, 14 through 18. Let me read it and watch it unfold, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then, he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. Now, I broke that down last time, and I want us to see it just briefly as we look at the context. God is righteous, verse 14 and 15, in showing mercy to judgment-deserving sinners. The principle of it is verse 16. It doesn't depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. God is also righteous, verse 17 and 18, in judging judgment-deserving sinners. Now, of those two, the hardest to show is by far the first one. How can God be righteous in showing mercy to judgment-deserving sinners. And the book of Romans, of course, has explained that and labored to explain that. And the reason that question isn't getting asked more today is because we have such a low view of God. But that's by far the harder of the two questions. How can God be righteous in showing mercy to judgment-deserving sinners? And I'll just uh, take a look back. Look at chapter 3. Just for a second. Chapter 3, verse 23, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, we know that. All have sinned. Being justified, being declared righteous as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ. How can God do it? Well, it came to us freely. It cost him everything. The redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be righteous, just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, I'm just glancing back, and I hate to do that almost in the sense of that demands such 
digging in and getting hold of what's being said there, but we've already been there. I just remind you that Paul has already established the basis for God's righteousness. He doesn't just wink at sin. He sent his son to the cross for sin. And that's how he can be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. And I've got good news for you today, the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter what you deserve, and we all deserve hell, God has provided a Savior. And if you'll come and call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. If you'll believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you'll put your faith in Him, if you will, verse 26, have your faith in Jesus. God, the just one, will justify you on the basis of what His Son did for you. Now, that's the basis for how He can have mercy. And we looked at it last time back in Exodus. God, He quotes from Exodus 33, and it is God's glory to sovereignly bestow mercy on whom He will. And none of us chose Him He chose us, the Scripture says. We didn't even want Him. We're so sinful, we didn't even want Him. There's none who seek for God, not one. But God in infinite mercy shows mercy on whom He'll have mercy and compassion on whom He'll have compassion. And when Moses said, Lord, show me your glory, God said, I'll tell you what my glory is. It's being merciful, sovereignly. And we looked at Exodus 32, what Israel deserved. They were worshiping a golden calf. And what they got, mercy. And so in illustrating that, he used Moses and Israel. Now, you come to the second part of the paragraph, and Paul doesn't uh, leave it alone. What about those whom he doesn't show mercy to? And for these, he uses as an illustration, Pharaoh. Pharaoh. And he's going to show that God is righteous in judging, judgment-deserving, Sinners. Now, I told you last time, these three chapters are just littered with the Old Testament. And so we want to really listen to what Paul has to say. And when he refers to the Old Testament, it's good for us to go back and look at it a bit. But he uses Moses first to show God's righteousness in mercy. Now he uses Pharaoh to show God's righteousness in judgment. And chapter 9, verse 17, is a quote from Exodus 9, verse 16 regarding Pharaoh. And to bring up Pharaoh is kind of remember like saying Hitler. <laughs> you know? Uh, oh, this brings back a lot of memory to Israel to just say Pharaoh. And uh, remember that he's notorious. Uh, so uh, before we look back, though, look at the verse. Look at verse 17. Uh, you know, he's, getting, he's talking about having mercy. He's talking about hardening. And there are many, many verses back in Exodus, we'll see some of them, about hardening. But he doesn't choose one of those. He talks about, for this very purpose, I left him stand or I raised him up, or but we'll see back in the, in the Exodus text, I let him stay there for a while. I didn't just judge him right away. To demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. God's ultimate purpose is that His name and His glory be proclaimed throughout the whole earth, His very character. And so He picks a significant verse, and we're going to go back and look at the, the context around it. But notice God's ultimate purpose is what's before Paul's mind here. And God will be glorified throughout eternity. We will praise Him not only for the salvation 
of judgment-deserving sinners, but His righteous judgment on sin and sinners. And you can't read the Bible without seeing that. So watch with me. Let's go back to Exodus. Pharaoh is a great picture. Turn back to Exodus chapter 5. This is the second time Paul cites Exodus, two scenes from Exodus that we've seen him use, and Pharaoh is a great picture of sinful men, stubborn in their unbelief, seeking and clinging not to God, but to their sin. And Pharaoh's a picture of mankind, really. And Romans has explained that to us, and God hardens Pharaoh not without giving him much opportunity to repent, and not before using him on the stage of history to show forth his name and his glory. Now, uh, God's glory, the name of the Lord proclaimed, the mercy of the Lord, the very character of God made known. We're going to see 18 times, I believe, uh, we're told that Pharaoh is hardened. Sometimes we're just told Pharaoh was hardened, his heart was hardened. Sometimes Pharaoh hardened his heart. And sometimes God, the Lord, hardened Pharaoh's heart. But what we're going to see is that when proud, sinful, obstinate man refuses the Word of God, inevitably, apart from God's gracious mercy intervening, hardness occurs. Hardness occurs. Now, chapter 5 Pharaoh's first encounter with God's Word. Afterward, after Moses and Aaron had gotten their instruction, afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord. Significant. This is Pharaoh's first encounter with God's Word. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice to let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. Now, don't miss that. He's confronted with God's Word. Today, you are hearing God's Word. This is significant. Pharaoh's first encounter with God's Word. And what's he say? Who's the Lord? Oh, many people say that. Who's the Lord? Maybe you're saying that. That I should obey Him. I don't know the Lord, Pharaoh said. I don't know the Lord. And I'm the mighty Pharaoh. I don't know the Lord. Well, that's true. It's also false. He did know the Lord. He's going to get to know the Lord pretty well. (laughs) You know what I mean? He's a picture of Romans 1. Even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. And you can just read Pharaoh in chapter 1 of Romans. Even though he knew God, all men do. Oh, I know. I know. I meet them. They say they're atheists, but they're not. They know God. Creation itself tells us who He is. Even though Pharaoh knew God, he didn't honor him as God or give thanks. He became futile in his speculations and his foolish heart was darkened. He exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of frogs and gnats and rivers. Did you know that? These judgments that you look back that are so famous, those were the gods that Pharaoh worshipped. He worshipped the Nile. He worshipped the frogs, the god of the frog, the god of the weather. 
So God let him know a little bit about who's in charge of those things. But you see, he knew God. But he said, I don't know the Lord. Well, that's true enough. You know, the Bible uses that just the way we use it. Do you know the Lord, I ask you today? Do you know him? Oh, I know you know of him, but have you honored him as God and have you given thanks? So Pharaoh says, I don't know the Lord. And besides, look at that, verse 2. Besides, I will not obey him. Why should I obey his voice, his word? You want to summarize Pharaoh's encounter with God? It's this. Moses and Aaron come and say, thus says the Lord. And you know what Pharaoh does? Look at verse 10. So the taskmasters of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people saying, thus says Pharaoh, I'm not going to give you any straw, but keep making the same, you know, that was his response. So you have a thus says the Lord and Pharaoh says, thus says Pharaoh. That's the first encounter. This is where God finds Pharaoh, you might say. Then turn over to chapter 7 and watch this unfold. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. This is amazing. Moses and Aaron spoke for God. They were as God before Pharaoh. You know something, Christian? We are his ambassadors. When I proclaim the word of God to you today, I speak as Christ's ambassador. You know, the ambassador can say, I'm speaking on behalf of the people of the United States, and he can speak with authority. That's not his authority. It's the authority behind who he is, what he is, what he's been designated. Moses and Aaron could say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, and Pharaoh better listen up. In fact, Romans says, the Scripture says to Pharaoh, and then he says what? For this very purpose, I raised you up. The voice of Scripture is the voice of God. And whether it's written by Moses or Paul or whether it's being proclaimed today, the Word of God is God's Word. Remember that. So he says, I'm going to make you as God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron. You know, Moses said, well, I'm not eloquent. Well, I'll give you a mouthpiece too, Aaron. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. Now, I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh will not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts, my people, the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. God knows what's going to happen, and Pharaoh is going to be hardened, and he's going to be an illustration of God's power and glory. And he says, notice verse 5, the Egyptians will know, they will know that I am the Lord. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, A Righteous God and a Savior, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. 
It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. Downtown Bible only remains on the air through the generous contributions of listeners like you. We'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider partnering with us on a regular basis to help us meet our day-to-day expenses. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. God wants to be known as God. And God is doing things such that all might know that there is no one like God. And he gives Pharaoh this final plea, it seems. For if by now, look at verse 15, I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would have been cut off from the earth. It's obvious God could have dealt with Pharaoh by now. He could have just put him in the grave. But here's our text from Romans. Indeed, for this cause I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power, in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. God is righteous in showing mercy. He's righteous in judging, judgment-deserving sinners, and even His patience. If I were to use Romans 9 language, I would say, God has waited. He has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. That's what He's going to say as we get down further in Romans 9. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part four of the message titled, A Righteous God and a Savior. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.